Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. And this is Script Shop. Welcome to Script Shop, everybody. That is pronounced Script Shop. My name is Jack. It's pronounced Jack. Uh, <laughs> the last name is Crumley, pronounced with an umly. We also call him Crack Jumley, Cracker Sometimes. Jack. What else? I don't know what else we have for you. Uh, that's all we've worked Jackie, out so far. I do Jackie just because that's a normal nickname. Which was my name for like the first 12 years of my life. Hi, oh. I'm Jack. <laughs> and I'm Allison West. Um, people don't give me nicknames as much as I give them to them. So booyah. <laughs> She's got all the power. Uh, this is Script Shop. This is our show that we do where we talk about scripts. We talk to script writers, screenwriters, about their work, where it comes from, and what they would like to see done with it. Uh, it's a fun little show, and thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, big thank you to iHeartMedia Cincinnati. iHeartMedia Cincinnati provides us with the facilities that uh, we are using right now to bring the show to you, and we are extremely grateful for the opportunity to use said facilities. Thanks very much. And if you're interested in following Script Shop online, because we do lots of hijinksy things in our free time, mm. you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Script Shop Show. And if you want to be on Script Shop, because we want you to, we totally do, you can go to www.scriptshopshow.com slash submit, where Mm. you can find details about submitting to the show and getting your work in front of us so we can read it and chat about it and chat with you and share it with everybody else. Yeah, try to get it out there into the world. We uh, enjoy doing this very, very much, and we would love to uh, hear from you if you got something. Yep. Speaking of people who have something, who uh, have we've heard from, uh, our guest today is Corbin Salikin. He is calling us in from Canada, and uh, we've got Corbin right here on the phone. Hello, Corbin. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. I got to apologize right off the bat. I did not prep ahead of time and make sure that I pronounced your last name right. Did I butcher it? Uh, no, it's good. Yes. Corbin. Corbin, what part of Canada are you in, actually? I'm in Vancouver. Vancouver. I definitely had to pull up a map of Canada when reading this script. I did too, actually. Yeah, I learned a lot of Canadian things. <laughs> it's, it's good for me. It really is. I should know more. So Corbin has written us a script. It's called Peach Fest. It's a, it's a feature. It's a 98-page feature. Uh, it is a coming-of-age story of teenage boys set in the 80s uh, enjoying a weekend in Canada. Is that about right, Colin? That's correct. Yep. Corbin. Corbin. Mm-hmm. Colin's a character, and we'll get into that momentarily. So, uh, Corbin, tell us a little bit about yourself. We know you're in Vancouver. Uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I, I've been making films for a, a number of years. Um, I went to film school. I love movies. Um, I'm in Canada, so I, I play hockey as well. It's kind of mandated here. Uh-huh. Wait, this is, are you making a joke, or do you actually play hockey? No, I do play hockey. Yeah, yes. What pos- do hockey? What position do you play? All I know about hockey is Mighty Ducks. Uh, I usually play. Well, I have two. I, I play t- twice a week. One's kind of a pickup game, and then another's in a league. And in my league, I, I'm a right wing usually on my league. That's cool. What are you responsible for playing hockey in this role in this position? Uh, like, what does this guy do? Scoring goals, but that doesn't you know that doesn't happen all that often. But... He's responsible for having fun. That's the most important. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. It is so much fun. Uh, 
man, hockey. Corbin, are you married? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, <laughs> ladies, if you're out there listening to the show. Or guys, whatever. Or guys, you know. Um, well, the, the ladies. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so you grew up in Canada as well, born and yep. raised? Yeah, born and raised in Vancouver. What was your childhood like? Uh, I mean, I think it was pretty normal. Um, I enjoyed my childhood, and that's one reason I che- probably why a lot of my scripts uh, are tied into that. So this, this is a teenage, so this is like 16, 17 years old, but um, a lot of the scripts I write have got actually a live half the stuff I've done has got some 80s connection when I grew up. So um, I know I, I enjoyed being a kid. And I think there's something about being a kid where you there's possibilities there. You're not, um, you're not af- I guess, afraid of things. And you're just you're free to just kind of be. And I, I really like that. And I, I guess one thing I've, I've endeavored to do as an adult is maintain that inner child. Mm. So now, were you were a teenager in the '80s when when this uh, script is set? Yes. Okay. Yep. Cool. What was it like being a teenager for you? For me, it was like kind of you know marching to the beat of my own drum. But that time period is really, really special and different for lots and lots of different people. Super right. formative you, years, you right? Faded out there. I couldn't quite catch you. Could you just tell a little bit about what what it was like growing up as a teenager? Sure. I mean, honestly, Peach Fest is, is kind of what it was like. Uh, I, I mean, I had, I had a great time. I had, I had some, a lot of friends, and we just kind of hung out together. We watched movies. We, we ate pizza, a lot of pizza. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard. I didn't have a really angsty teenager, teenage years. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't go through a dark period or anything like that. I just, I, I enjoyed myself. And I'm, I think that, that element, again, is something that's in my writing, too, where my, my writing tends towards the light as opposed to the dark, I think. Mm-hmm. You talked about it in the, in the statement that I was reading that you had written about this script, uh, in addition to the summary of it, you talk about those teenage years and how crazy formative they are and how... You know, you're, you're, the whole world is in front of you. Nothing really seems all that threatening. Mm-hmm. And, that, that, and that's where you're coming from with this? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's that, there's that possibility when you're a teenager because, you know, that sense of time is different. So, you know, you feel invulnerable. You've, the, the, the idea that anything's going to end just isn't there. You feel like you have all the time in the world. But you're also, there's that anticipation of, of something. You don't know what that thing is but you're just kind of always prepared and you always think that just around the corner that that big event, that thing is going to be there. And you're kind of always, I think, searching for that. At least I kind of was, I think, as, an, as a teenager, just waiting for that thing to happen. And usually yeah. usually it doesn't happen. And but it, then it, actually the, the journey or the process of it not happening or the things you remember when things don't work out that well. Oh, man. And the difference, I think the difference between being a kid, like a child, and being a teenager is the, the, uh, this idea that, You've got the whole world ahead of you, but you, when you're a teenager, you kind of are starting to realize that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you were a teenager, what were your interactions with girls like? Uh, they were mostly uh, pining for girls. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm with you. So, uh, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, it was, I had a lot of long-term crushes. And not many, like, um, 
Do you ever go after? A lot of reciprocal uh, uh, crushes. I know those feels, Corbin. I know those feels. If there were, I wasn't aware of them. Sure, right. Yeah, because you're a kid. You're you're still a teenager. You're still a kid. You don't really know how to read people. And trying to figure out girls is is you know it's it's tough enough after you've had some time to mature. Let alone when you're fresh out of the gate, really knowing nothing. Yeah, exactly. And and everything everything is so loaded to your emotions. Everything feels so important. And that, that's definitely one of the things, as I've gotten older, I realize how much doesn't matter. Yeah. But just that perspective when you're a teenager is everything that you're feeling is this is the most powerful and important thing that anyone has ever felt. And it will, I will feel this way forever, too. So now you said this is a really personal script. Have you, is, it, is a lot of your stuff, like, sort of personal, or is this the most personal script? Um, this is... It's, I mean, it's the most uh, literally personal in that it's based on a very specific event that happened. So it's not everything in the script happened, but a lot of what's in the script actually happened. Uh, but, all, I mean, all the stuff I write is definitely, if, if, if I can't find something personal about it, there's no point for me in writing it because that's, that's what makes it interesting to me. That's what also I hope makes it original and unique, too. So, mm-hmm. Did you grow up with a group of friends around you? Yep, yep, and some of, a lot of those friends because I've lived in Vancouver my whole life. I still see a lot of them. Oh, cool! That's always nice, and it, it's it's not uh, it, it's it, it hasn't gotten it hasn't worn thin. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, so the guys who are, who the the Peach Fest, uh, Peach Fest script are written about. You know, I still see one of them. Who, a couple of them are still in town. So yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really nice to have that touch. I mean, there's people that I I people who I still see who I went to kindergarten with. Yeah. Now, did you, did you kind of get into writing as a teenager, or was it before that or after that? Uh, when I was, I always, whenever there was a creative option in school, in elementary school or, or high school, I definitely took it. So when I was writing a story or an essay, I would kind of go that extra mile and write something a little more interesting. At least I, I thought it was. So, so I, I was always doing writing because I, I read a lot. I mean, that's one of the things my, my mom in particular really uh, instilled a love of books. So I've been reading, just going through books since I was, a, you know, in elementary school. And the connection, the combination of reading books, I think really, it kind of makes you want to write. At least it did for me. So I've, I have been writing, I've been writing screenplays, you know, as a teenager, but uh, I've always been interested in, in creative stuff for sure. Did you have a go-to uh, genre or a writer as you were reading stuff growing up? Uh, I mean, as a teenager, it was Stephen King, for sure. Okay. Mm. I mean, the, the first, I remember grade seven, my grade seven teacher um, gave me the dead zone, which I'm yeah. sure he, he definitely shouldn't have given me the dead zone at that age. But, <laughs> yeah. Which, and then I, I, then I passed the dead zone on to my nephew when he turned 13, so... Oh, that's cool. You're doing a little keeping of the flame. I dig that. Yeah, and Roald Dahl, when I was a kid, absolutely. Roald Dahl mm. was a big... Like, Charlie on the Chocolate Factory is still one of my favorite books. The, James and the Giant Peach yeah. is probably my favorite book of all time. Mm-hmm. I was always a James and the Giant Peach fan. I always really dug that one. Mm. Uh, I, and also, as far as Stephen King goes, uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes is probably my favorite Stephen King. Mm. Was You know, Stephen King, that's a much different style of writing than what we have with Peach Fest, too. Do you do... Um, do you write more horror as well? Scary things? Uh, the script that um, I've been working on for the last little while is more horror. It's kind of a ghost story, and that's what I'm hoping might be my my next feature. I've got someone who's 
potentially interested in helping me make that. So that might be. So that's, it's not as dark as Stephen King because I pull it back as Stephen King often just kind of goes into the darkness. And I'm not as interested in, in staying in the darkness because I, I don't, I'd like to give a little light. So, but I, yeah, I've, I've done a few things that have, I guess, gone into a little bit of Stephen King territory, at least a little darker for sure. So Stephen King and Roald Dahl as a kid, uh, anybody in particular that you're reading now? Uh, probably my favorite author as an adult, like Neil Gaiman, yeah. um, Jonathan Carroll, the kind of speculative fiction fantasy guys. Uh, I like. I actually just finished reading another Stephen King. I just read Gerald's Game. Oh, which just now, I think they just turned that into a movie on Netflix, right? Yeah, and that's why I heard it was coming out, and I figured, well, I'm going to read the book first, and then I read the book, and then I started watching the movie, and then I figured, I don't need to see the movie now, because I know what happens. So. It's supposed to be really intense, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a woman who's handcuffed to her bed for, like, three, four days. Yeah, that sounds a little bit intense. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like misery, but it's a, an element of that in a way. Yeah, that kind of, like, uh, confined... Yep. And, oh, man, mm-hmm. those scripts get so gritty because there's such, like, nuanced beats you have to pull out of those types of things that mm-hmm. to, to really pull it off can definitely provide a nice dose of the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of curious to see how they did the, did the movie, but, I mean, again, I've only got so many hours, and since I know the story, I'll probably just watch something I haven't seen. Well, I don't know how it's going to end. And you mentioned Neil Gaiman, too. I just started rereading Good Omens, and they're turning that into a TV show really soon. Yeah, finally. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited for that. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's no, my favorite. I, I love Neil Gaiman. I mean, Neil Gaiman is, he's certainly probably, he's probably one of the most influential, biggest influences on me as an adult writer, because, I mean, I read all the Sandman, and I, yeah. I still read comics, but Sandman is, I think, just unbelievable. And one of his big things was also, Neil Gaiman has always said that as a writer, the thing you have to do is is be is cultivate your own voice because there's only one of you. And I, I mean, I, I strongly believe that. I think that's kind of the most important thing you can be as a writer. So I've tried to, I've taken that to heart, I think. Well, and if you said that this, that the, the script that we're here to talk to you about today, Peach Fest, is so personal, that means it really is coming from your voice, yeah? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. How did you work on cultivating your voice as you, as you were writing, growing up, um, even, you know, just moving through all the different stages of your life? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard question to answer. I, the only way I can answer to say that I, I write the stuff that I want. I write this, this, the kind of movies that I want to see myself. Fair enough. And that's, that's ultimately my ultimate goal is I just, yeah, in some ways I've said this to other people. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm my own biggest fan in that I just, I like this because I'm writing it basically for me. And so when I, when I make a movie, it's, that's my ultimate goal. And so I know a lot of people that are dissatisfied with their own films and they don't like to watch them. They like, no, I mean, that's the whole point of why I make them is so that I can just, I wanted this thing to exist. And so that's why I want to be able to see it. And same with the scripts. I just, I want this story to be out there. So, I mean, maybe, I don't know if that answers your question, but like, that's, I think the way I've tried to cultivate that. Yeah, I think so. It just, it just really points out to the fact that you're looking for things that are that like speak to your heart and are worth your time and make it enjoyable for you to put hours into your writing. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there's a, there's a through line that I've noticed. We were talking about comics a second ago. I've read many an interview uh, with Stan Lee, and he's talked about how, you know, back in the 60s when they were doing Marvel comics, they didn't know really what they were doing. They were kind of just writing it for themselves. Uh, I've read similar interviews with uh, cast members of Saturday Night Live, and there, uh, there's so many people, I feel like, who have been successful who have all sort of said the same thing, that we weren't really doing this for anybody other than ourselves and doing things to entertain ourselves. I feel like that's a, a through line and people who have pulled off some stuff. Yep. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's true. And I know that some of, the, my, some of my favorite movies, when I watch them, I feel like they're made just for me. Yeah. And I think there's nobody else that's going to get this. It seems so specific. But I think that's, and that's one of the things with Petras, for sure, too, is that I, I think, I mean, it's, it's a story about, that takes place in a Canadian town, small Canadian town, but I think it's in the specifics that, that the universal shows up. You know, speaking of that, you've just done a great job of setting the tone yeah. uh, and kind of kind of putting this into perspective for our listeners. Um, so just as Corbin mentioned, this is set in a small Canadian town. Is there a specific t- a specific year you attach to this, Corbin, or do we just say 80s-ish? 1988. Okay. Oh, that was the year I was born. 1988. What a, very old. What? <laughs> I mean, I'm almost 30. If Come on. It makes on. you feel any better. I was seven at that point. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> a, little, a little better. Well, 1988. What a great year. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to go ahead and take a moment and read a selection from the script. We have today an all-male cast. We have Jack reading uh, the role of Josh. Yeah. Frank, our producer, is going to read the role of Colin. If you, what up? Yep, there's Frank. Frank's here. We love Frank, and uh, we have Corbin playing Noel. I'll be doing the stage directions. So if everybody will let me know that they are ready to roll, places, please. Cool. <laughs> All right. Great. Okay. Interior, Dairy Queen, early evening. The three guys are sitting in a booth eating their food. Did you check out that girl at the counter? She totally wanted me. Small town chicks, man. You gotta love them. I'm telling you, they're always looking for something to do or someone. Pennington's Pennington's gonna be crawling with them, eh? Josh smacks Colin's shoulder, who nods in agreement. Ryan Crosby said that his brother told him that when he went up to Peach Fest last year, it was the craziest time ever. Crazy how? Like, you know, just a huge crazy party and stuff. Yeah, but what is Peach Fest? It's, you know, a festival for the for the peaches. This is where it's all going to start. Grade 12, man. Best year ever. I am going to all the parties. You have to find out where they are first. I went to elementary school with Darren Smith. He'll tell me. That's all you ever talk about. What's the big deal, anyway? Like, you don't want to go, too. Not really. I don't care. All those guys are idiots. Some of the girls are pretty good looking. Yeah. But I guess you're not into chicks either. I never said that. If you're afraid of parties, then why'd you bother coming with us to Pentagon anyway? You should have stayed home with your stupid Nintendo. You know, I can never pass up an opportunity to listen to some of your stellar mixtapes. Josh gives Noel the finger, then stands up. Come on, we've still got three more hours to go. Let's get a frickin' move on. Exterior, Dairy Queen, parking lot, evening. Josh is leaning against the trunk of Colin's car. Noel and Colin, who are both eating dip cones, walk up. Colin gives a little nod to Josh, then he unlocks the trunk. Inside are some bags, towels, and a big cooler. Slowly, Colin lifts the lid of the cooler, thus revealing its contents. Beer. 
76 cans to be exact. Josh's mood changes, and both he and Colin smile and nod with pride. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Colin, that's your go. Colin, that's your line. I'm pointing at it, Frank, right here. It's, it's beautiful. It's a radio to talk to God himself. I'm going to get so wasted. Remember that time you got drunk on New Year's and you puked all over Sam's couch? Yeah. Yeah. Colin takes a big gulp of his ice cream cone, putting half of it in his mouth all at once. Way to deep throat that cone, man. Is that a technique you're familiar with? You know it. By the end of this weekend, I'm planning to be a lot more familiar with it if you catch my drift. Nobody responds. Eh? What? My drift, man. You get it? Deep throat? BJ's? I guess you're not into those either. (laughs) Guess not. Colin grins back, then he shuts the trunk, moves to the driver's side door, and gets in. Josh and Noel follow him. And scene. Perfect. I love that <laughs> hilarious innuendo that doesn't go anywhere. It's not innuendo. It's like exuendo. <laughs> yeah, there's like no, they have no response to like his bad joke at all. <laughs> so generally speaking, that, I mean, that was, a, that was a bit you set the tone for us. These guys are on this road trip in Canada. I know you said in your uh, statement that you didn't want this to be this over-the-top, crazy comedy. Uh, you kind of referenced Porky's as an example of something that's just r- really wacky and wild. You wanted this to have a little more honesty to it the way uh, Dazed and Confused did, the way American Graffiti did. Uh, as far as some of the other beats that happen, these guys are up in Canada. They get, or they're already in Canada, of course. They're trying to go to this festival. They meet some girls. Uh, there's a riot that breaks out at a concert on the beach that they're sort of tangentially involved with. There are some fights. Uh, Noel gets blasted by a skunk. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on here. A lot of hijinks there. Yeah. Yes, there are. <laughs> did you go to Peach Fest, Corbin? I did. Tell us about this festival. Uh, I mean, pretty much, I went up when I was the uh, same, same as these guys, uh, just after grade 11, so I was 16, probably 16 at the time, okay. and a friend of mine had just bought this, this, this car, and he just said, let's go up there, and I said, all right, and so we didn't have anywhere to stay, and it's, it's this small town, and when we got up there, which is exactly what it's like in the script, we got up there, and we realized immediately that we were way in over our heads. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me just point out, too, that for our listeners, these guys hype this festival up. They're on the ride yeah. up. They're like, yeah, Peach Fest, so many girls, I'm going to get trashed. And then when they get there, they're just kind of like, oh, my Lord, what, I don't, what is, and the script is really them, like, kind of not wanting to be a part of these things that are, are a little bit more advanced for them at times. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that's what it was like as we got up there. And the crowd was two or three or four years older than us. And, and Which it's is just, huge when you're that age. That's a yeah, huge difference. We, we were freaked out. We didn't know what to do. We didn't have anywhere to stay. The cops were pulling people over left, right, and center, like searching the cars and pouring out beer. And Oh, man. What's the drinking age in Canada? It's uh, eight, 18, 19. I don't, I don't drink, so I don't even know. I think it's 19. Yeah. Kind of in the province. I think it's 19 here. Okay. Do you, do you guys do like those, like those lighter blends if you're younger? Like I know back in the U.S. there used to be this thing called 3-2 beer, which teenagers used to drink all the time, which was basically water, and then they finally just got rid of it and said, all right, got to be 21. 
I don't think so. Like I said, I, I've never drunk, so I don't even know what the deal is with beer. So, so like the character in this movie, he's he's the one guy that doesn't drink too, who's kind of like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's yeah. always that's and who's able to actually record the hijinks because I'm the I was always the one that at the end of the night I actually remember what everyone else had done. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. So, so you're the Colin character in this script. No, no I'm, I'm the Noel. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're Noel. Oh, yep. oh, 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 okay. I can I'm the guy to gets that. blasted by the skunk. Uh, <laughs> did that happen to you too? It didn't happen at Peach Fest, but it has happened to me. Oh, man. How do you... So, so uh, talking about the part when Noel gets blasted by the skunk, which happens about maybe three quarters of the way through, things are... The boys have kind of gone their separate ways. Things are yep. kind of good, kind of bad. I remember when I was reading this, when Noel gets blasted in the face by that skunk, he... At least there's nothing in the script about him just ralphing all over the place for the next day and a half, which is uh, what I feel like I would do. You've actually gone through this. Are you just barfing everywhere forever or what? No, it's just it just smells really bad and you just can't get rid of the stink. Wow. Mm. Maybe you've got I mean, a strong constitution, man. I'd be Yeah, losing. I mean I was I was jogging once and a skunk I kinda we skunk ran across in front of me and so I scared it and it scared me and then it just blasted me. And then I yeah. So but it uh, yeah, it didn't make me want to throw up, but it was it was pretty disgusting. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, you would know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when you went to Peach Fest in real life, when you were 16, whose idea was it to go? It would have been my friend Kevin, who's the guy who, who Colin is kind of based on, so Colin <laughs> who has the car. It was his idea, basically, to go. And, yeah, so we went up with just a bunch of friends, and I actually ended up coming back early because it, it was just stupid. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Just, just in that it felt dangerous to you. Yeah, and it just it wasn't it wasn't anything that interested me. And then I just realized, like, what are we going to do up here anyway? Because all these other people are, you know, they're partying. But it was also that notion of partying when you're a teenager. I mean, I never really knew what that meant. Like, what does it mean to party? Yeah. Did did it did did the road trip live up to the expectations for your friends in the way that it didn't for you? No, no. I think everyone just it was a big. Yeah, big downer. I mean, I think by the end, my friends who did bring up 76 cans of beer, I think they had drunk like nine by the end of the night. (laughs) Which, too, happens to our uh, lovable heroes in the script, that they have all of this beer and then just end up like not really cracking into it at all. Josh has a few. Yeah, it's like they kind of know what they they should be doing as rowdy teenagers, but they're just not there yet. Yeah, yeah. And even when the girls show up, they just... They can't even look at them. They just don't know how to deal with the girls. There's the one friend who's kind of got a girlfriend. He's not quite sure. And so they're just sort of, they're just like, what, how did this happen? I don't even understand. What. Right. Well, and then even the girlfriend, then she's got a, a gal who's friends with her, who the guys, that would be totally an opportunity for one of the other dudes to try to start talking to and strike up a relationship with. And nothing really ever sizzles there either. Yep. Yeah. They just, yeah, they, just, they don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I think it's really special in that this is one of those um, awkward coming-of-age stories that's not really like becoming a man, but is that it's it's focused so specially on the time where you go from being like a boy to a young man. Yeah. It's, it's really just this very specific place where these boys, you know, how many more times are they going to run into girls before they want to start getting it together, you know? Yep. But this is the first time where they kind of are children. I love the fact that um, you can tell they've just gotten a driver's license because one of them really cannot drive yeah. at all. That's just like so preciously 
youthful. Yeah. Yeah, and it takes him about, you know, 10 minutes to park the car at the <laughs> McDonald's. And then he freaks out when he does finally ding it a little bit. Yep, yep. Which, so, that's such a coming-of-age thing, too. We have that which, first ding. Which actually happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because he, he, actually the car that my friend bought it was had this giant hood. It was like this five-foot hood or something. And so he didn't – he turned the, turned the car, and it hit this lamppost. And then he just, yeah, kind of freaked out when that happened, yep. understandably. Yeah. But we, we just kind of made fun of him when it happened. You know, in addition to this being a very, very personal script, what thematically stands out to you in the biggest way throughout this? Like cinematically, thematically, what is your through line with it? Um, and I think there's, there's sort of these two different parts in it, too, where – as we were talking about how in the daytime they're much more at ease because it's sort of, they can handle that. They go to the beach in the day and they're just sort of, but then there's always this idea that the night is coming and the night is really, it is this metaphor for the becoming a teenager, becoming a young, a young adult. And because they're kind of freaked out from it, that, that the coming of the night really is something that changes for them because there's a bit where they try to get into a restricted movie. They try to go see Die Hard and, that's really that's when the, the the script really switches, where you know they go in in the day, they come out in its night, and things are all things have really changed then. And oh, that's, that's where problem. I have that that riot that happens, and they they tell the, the Phil Collins urban legend story, and just everything just gets kind of unsettled, and then people start going their own ways as 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 you do as you get older. Um, you know your old friends, you start realizing the people that you're you were friends with. Maybe there's not as much of a reason to be friends with them anymore because you're not maybe in school. And you kind of drift apart, and so that's why in the end of the film, everyone kind of has their own thing that they're they're doing, or trying to do. Yeah, where because you know, of course, you book in the script with this uh, this road trip in the beginning, and then in the end, and especially seeing it through that lens, where in the beginning they're all anticipating this, and then at the end they've gone a little bit through the night as it is, and have come out as different people, as different young men. Yeah, yeah, they've caught a glimpse of of what's to come. And uh, it's kind of, it's unsettled them. Well, but it is, there is a bit of a reflection for between the beginning and the end, too, because, again, they're both in the, they're in the car heading out and they're in the car coming back, but they're also complaining and talking about each other's music uh, to start it and to end it also. Yep, yep, absolutely. So music is plays a huge part in this script, uh, and it, just music in general is so important for holding on to memories and for movies that are set in the past and flashback stuff. And this script that you wrote has some very specific music cues. I take it these are all songs that you grew up with. Yep, yep. They're Canadian pop songs from the era, yep. And there's some crossovers. I mean, I, I didn't recognize all of them, but there were definitely uh, some of those that were huge hits in America in the 80s. That's that's good to know. <laughs> You've got great taste, Corbin. There we go. <laughs> Speaking of which, putting uh, there's a part in the script when they're in Paul's parents' house and Sundown uh, by uh, Gordon, Gordon Lightfoot, Lightfoot is yep. on. I wanted to just take a moment to say thank you for having that be the song because I think Sundown is an extremely underrated Gordon Lightfoot song. I think it's way better than Edmund Fitzgerald. And there's a bit, there's a line in there about when I feel like I'm winning, when I'm losing again, which sort of ties into this whole thing with these kids when they, they want to be doing something and they, they feel like they're winning, but it really ends up they just sort of blow it again. Yep, yep, exactly. How did you choose um, some of these specific songs for the script? 
Uh, I mean, there were songs that I, I really liked. And then I it really just, as I was writing the script, I was just, the movie was just playing in my head and it just seemed, this is, this is the song. Or I would hear, and then I would listen to some more songs from the, that I liked from that time. And then I would go back and go, oh, this would absolutely be perfect for this moment. I mean, that is, that is also the, the big challenge with the script. Because then, of course, one of the things they always tell you in screenwriting is don't put in specific songs. Mm-hmm. That's just almost one one of the, the main. Actually, this script has I think seven of the things you should not put in, sort of an independent <laughs> film. You're breaking it's all the got, rules. It's got it, it's period. It's got I mean it has a skunk. So there's an animal. It's got a lot of car scenes. It's uh, got a lot of night stuff. Uh, it's got crowds. Yeah. Um, and it's got specific songs. So <laughs> it's and, a challenge. And you come this close to having MC Hammer. Oh, gosh. Let's talk about this event that happened. So the guys go into the movie theater. They come back. Life at Peach Fest is different. There's a a riot that started at the MC Hammer concert. Yeah, which is apparently what actually happened at the actual Peach Fest. Not when I was up there, but I think a year later. Oh, my gosh. What what incited that riot? Do you know? I don't really know. Some some happened. At the, it's this MC Hammer concert or something happened, and then just something got out of control. And then, I mean, everybody at Peach Fest is just drunk the whole weekend, so it doesn't take much to set people off. And awesome. they shut down the whole event for, I think, a couple decades, actually, afterwards. Oh, my gosh. You're kidding. Really? Yeah. I think, it's, I think it's come back in recent years, but, yeah, no, it was, it kind of died. Because of that. It was probably some jerk in a vanilla ice t-shirt trying to rile the crowd up at an MC Hammer show. <laughs> yep, probably something like that. <laughs> Do you know what's really, it's so interesting because, and I think this might be um, like country differences. So, of course, Peach Fest in that setting is a very well-known American setting. Whether it's like college drunk fest or yeah. it's the movie uh, Beer Fest, which is Americans going to Germany to basically get out drunk right you know like or gosh so many of the american pies are just about getting wasted yeah america we have so many characters that exist so well in that environment but what is so interesting about your script is how well mannered these boys are and and you're gonna have to correct me for being a dumbass but like i'm assuming they're just very well mannered polite culturally different people who find themselves in a setting that is not at all what they expected or are comfortable with. And it, I mean, it just blows my mind because I, I, I rarely see like really well-behaved people at drunk parties. <laughs> I mean, those people were there, but honestly, like they weren't, those weren't my friends. Mm-hmm. And so that's not a, I mean, it's not a world I'm particularly interested in either. It's sort of, it's more interested because we've seen that movie a million times. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's, that's another thing I'm very conscious of when I'm writing something is trying to do the movie that, trying to do the thing that hasn't been done before. Because there's so many things that have been done a million times before, and you have to give, especially these days, there's so much product out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm really focused on trying to do something, trying to do something original. It's trying to do something that only I could, that I could create. As far as the uh, different feels of 80s stuff goes, as I was reading the script, I was taking notes about just it, not to get all like things used to be better because I'm not trying to do a better or worse thing here. But like just the idea of having this box full of tapes and having mm-hmm. this music that you're physically holding is it, it's, it's a different feel now than, just, you know, being able to stream it on your phone or, you know, call it up someplace. There, there's a different vibe there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I actually that I have that I still have my faux leather um, tape case. Okay. 
and and, and you talk too about driving around. The idea of driving around and not really knowing where you're going, yep. which was such a natural thing 30-odd years ago, versus now when that feels like so crazy, almost scary. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that you can't, you're, you're, you are cut off. You're in this little bubble because you don't have a phone that you can just call and find out where someone else is. It's just, no, you're just, you know, you have to go to a hotel to see if there's vacancy. You can't yeah. just look it up online. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's completely different. Um, were your parents okay with you guys taking this road trip when you were 16? I mean, my mom, yeah, I know she trusted me. I mean, she, well, she let me go. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, you could, you, know, you could have been a bad boy and snuck out of the house. I didn't say bad boy just there. Ignore that. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I don't know, I was pretty tame. I didn't really do, give my parents much cause for concern. So, yeah, they were fine with me going. And then all your I mean, I don't friends. Know, maybe they maybe they weren't maybe I, maybe they were worried when I was away, but I didn't. As you can see from the script, they didn't have much reason to be worried. Right? Yeah. Um, because listeners, these boys are constantly running into some like uh, iffy situations and kind of making their way out of them, except for the fights. Um, talk to us a little bit about these fights. They the the heroes find themselves in Corbin. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's those those kind of weird those weird confrontations. I mean, I've had a couple of them when I was a teenager where they just sort of flare up, but often what happens is they're between people that they don't quite know. They kind of go through the motions of the mm-hmm. fight, but they probably haven't either. Either one hasn't really been in one before, so they're not really sure what to do. So it's, it's mostly just this kind of guerrilla posturing thing. And then it ends up sort of devolving into sort of a bunch of weird, awkward slapping and maybe a couple lucky punches here and there. Exactly. And they just kind of roll around and, and that's it. And then it's over. And then there's one at the end where, you know, some older guys do just, just clock Colin in the face. Right. Yeah. I think just, one of the, I, I, that idea too, that kind of violence just out of nowhere too. I think one of the things that everybody can relate to, or most people maybe can relate to, maybe that I feel like I can relate to from in those teenage years, especially when you know that a fight is coming, is just that the fear of just before you're trying to maybe get away. You're in this car. Uh, you just made a car that was right next to you, full of older kids, mad, and they're kind of following you. They're sort of chasing after you. You might have to run through a couple yards to get away from them. That was something that I definitely remember from growing up as a kid, and I feel like that's almost a, a coming-of-age sort of thing, a major trope of that. Yep, yeah, I mean, I've had that. I remember I had some friends and I, we we used to drive around in, in, the, in the alleyways and knock over people's garbage cans <gasps> with, the, with a friend of mine's car. <laughs> I don't know why he, he agreed to do it, but, and one day we were doing it, and some guy started chasing us. Some other car, and we, you know, we did the same thing. We turned off the, uh, he was driving, he turned the lights off in his car, but then he would signal as he would turn a corner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except at one point they finally do tell, is it Colin who's driving? They tell him to yep. stop doing that? He signals yeah. at the, yes, he, oh, my gosh, that is so, that's, like, so lame. Because it's just so instinctual. I got a yeah. signal. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you about Colin's arc of, in terms of these fights, going from being in a fight that maybe wasn't all that dignified, but a one that he more or less won and can feel good about, to mm-hmm. walking into a brick wall and getting his ass kicked. Yeah. Was that based specifically on a friend? Did two of those fights happen in the same night, that arc? No, that that really wasn't. Uh, that just... that I mean, that didn't happen when I went to Peaches. We didn't get into a, into a fight. Basically what happened, we went up to the quarry, some of the guys drank some beers, and then one of them thought he heard a timber wolf, and we kind of freaked out and drove away. And that's sort of where my experience ended, and then then the sort of the the fabrication began. Mm-hmm. 
where's the where the Phil? I mean, I've heard the Phil Collins story about uh, the. I've never heard that before. You've never. Oh, that's a no. that's a total major urban legend from. I remember All right. growing up. Corbin, yep. will you recant the urban legend for those listeners that may not know it? Sure, it's the urban legend of where the song "In the Air Tonight" comes from. Yeah. And I actually, someone told it to me where I was. I used to be in my high school band, and we were driving. We had a, an overnight drive back from uh, a town in the interior, and we were sitting in the back of this bus, and somebody recanted this story to me, and that's sort of where I, when I put it in here. And the, the, basically the story is that, and there's a few different versions of this, but the version I was told is that Phil Collins was camping with a couple of his friends, and uh, went, in the morning he went up and went up on some bluff, and he, watched, he saw his two friends that were out on the lake, in a canoe, and then one friend pushed the other friend into the water and drowned him. Ugh. And Phil Collins couldn't do anything because he's up on this cliff, and he he just saw it happen. And he comes back down, and his friend just lies and said, "Oh, he just he drowned. I couldn't do anything." And so Phil's been is upset about this for years, and then years later he decides to get his revenge, and he writes the song in the air tonight, which has all these lines that that speaks directly to supposedly this event, and he invites his friend to come to a concert and there's a couple of versions with one of the versions is that there was a spotlight put on his friend when the, when folks oh. sang the song. <laughs> Awkward. And then his song, and then his friend realized Phil knew that he had killed his other friend and he went home and killed himself. Right. Uh, I man. definitely remember hearing that story when I was growing up. Yeah. See, I've yep. never heard it and I read it in the script and I was like, Oh my God, is this for real? I had to start Googling everything and looking up the lyrics and start. It's, I mean, it's still pretty fresh for me. Yeah. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, sharing of lore, too, when you're a teenager is just one of those other rites of passage that we're talking mm-hmm. about where you kind of like start getting the inside track on different pieces of info. I know that, of course, like with with boys and girls, we pass around new information about the opposite sex during that age a lot, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when something happened between a guy and a girl at school, you come back and they would just go through the whole school and go, so-and-so did that? That happened? Yeah, it spread like wildfire. Oh, yeah. And I can't imagine what, it, what it's like now in the digital age, but this is just the analog age where it was just, it was just telephone tag back then. Yeah, you're just right. literally whispering to a friend. Mm-hmm. So, Corbin, in terms of um, like script development, how did you develop your characters differently in terms of picking their personal journeys and then the, the way that they interact as a group too? Well, uh, I mean, I, I did a couple, this was actually one of the easier scripts I've written because I just kind of float out of me. I mean, I, um, but I wrote, I think five or six drafts of the script. And then I did this exercise, which I've done <clears throat> a couple times before with somebody, another screenwriting friend of mine suggested I do. It's a very painful exercise but I wrote the entire script from each character's point of view. Oh, no kidding. And so I have these, I have, you know, this 25-page single-spaced prose uh, documents now for each of the characters. And I, by doing that, I really started to understand what they wanted, what was important to them in that moment, why some of them would speak um, a certain way and some of them wouldn't, and why some of them would swear and some of them wouldn't. So that actually really got me into the mindset of the characters. And I realized, too, because initially there were actually five friends, because when I went up, I went up with four friends and there was another guy up there. Mm-hmm. And then as I was doing this exercise, I realized I got to the fifth guy and I realized I don't even know who this guy is. I don't even know why he's here, so I just cut him out of the script entirely. Mm-hmm. And, we, and you spent the time already writing four other pages worth of recaps, so maybe this guy, because what else is he bringing to the Sacrifice table? Sacrifice him. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. 
Did you specifically choose journeys for each of these characters to go through, or or were you just kind of recanting what you guys did when you went to Peach Fest? No, I definitely in the in the rewriting process, I did I did um, <clears throat> um, pick journeys. At least I tried to. Where I had the one guy. That's why I introduced the girlfriend. So he he had a clear thing that he wanted to get done. And he wanted to spend some time with her. If you catch uh, my drift. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Jack. And there's, there's the call. Well, but that's, his, that's the Paul kid. But he doesn't, doesn't really. He just right. wants to know if she's his girlfriend. Like that's, right. That's just, for him. That's the kind of the key question. And then everything after that is this kind of gravy. I think that one of the things that I liked in the script too, in that sort of, it's sort of what I feel is the climax of the movie. That montage scene with uh, what is it? Let the line. What, what, what's the song? Yeah, let go of the line. Let go of the line, and you've got. Uh, Paul's with his girlfriend. They're kind of kissing for the first time. Uh, Noel is wandering alone, smelling like skunk still after trying to take that tomato bath. And yep. Colin and Josh are hanging out with some new friends that they've kind of made and retelling this Phil Collins story. I think each one of those different uh, archetypes is something that people can relate to. They, they were one of those kids growing up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely my hope. Where each one, like Colin just kind of wants, he wants to belong. He just wants to be part of the group. Yeah. And in that moment, he gets to be part of that. And and Josh just kind of wants to feel like, yeah, kind of like the party thing. That's what he's looking for, and he's mm-hmm. found that there. And Noel's journey is just, he sort of, he doesn't want to admit that he's part of the group, too. He sort of, he wants to be part, but he kind of doesn't. So, and then ultimately he gets left alone because of that. Too. Yeah, mm. yeah, right. Yeah, and you said that character's based on you. Yep, yep. Do you feel like that was maybe a lesson that you learned growing up? Did you sort of learn it the hard way about maybe not, maybe wanting, how you should embrace things more? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I've never wanted to be part of the group, but that sometimes that will, that will cost me because it's, you know, I guess part of it is that if, you, if, you don't, if you're not part of the group, then you can't be rejected from the group. Oh, Fair enough. Corbin. But I also, I often thought the group was pretty lame, so I didn't want to be part of it either. So Yeah. Well, it's awkward growing up. You find yourself in a lot of awkward situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As everybody's trying to grow into who they think they're going to become and whether or not they do, you know, that, that's a... I'm not going to say a loaded gun because that's a depressing phrase. Yeah, don't go that to route. Put on teenagers, right? Ugh. So, uh, Corbin, would you say that you've got like nostalgia for that time? Is that a, a time you sort of harken back to with with pleasant memories? Yes, yes, definitely. Like as I mentioned, a lot of my like my first feature that I I wrote and directed, Patterson's Wager, has a big '80s section in it. My first short film has is about an elementary school reunion, so there's an '80s section in that. So, yeah, no, I I certainly like the 80s. Well, and 80s nostalgia seems to be sticking around. That Speaking of Stephen King, that It movie that came out over the summer, that killed it. And it just last year, uh, Richard Linklater did that Everybody Wants Some, which was yep, the, his yep, sort of 80s yeah. movie. I mean, Stranger Things. I mean, I personally think yeah. I'm not a big fan of It, but I think that people were just... They were just, they wanted the second season of Stranger Things so bad that they just sort of put that on It. I think you're right. I think that's a really good call. I, I really enjoyed that, the new It movie, uh, and I love the old the, the Tim Curry horror show from before. Mm. So in terms of production, because something like that, this is totally hot right now, wh- what are you thinking? What do you, what do you want to do with the script? Where are you with it professionally? What's next for it? Uh, I mean, I've got another feature, the one I was mentioning, this sort of a ghost story horror film that looks like I'm going to be doing hopefully next. And I guess my plan, my hope is that, that after that, I can maybe parlay that, if that works out well, to maybe finally getting Peach Fest made. 
Okay, yeah, sort of use it as a foothold and to, to get this very personal project accomplished. Yeah, because the first thing I said, this, this Patterson's Wager film that I did, that was my first feature, but, and I did that on my own. I funded it myself. And so with that, you know, I, I, did some, I got, had some festival success. I got a, some small, a small distributor in Canada, and, and, you know, people saw that I could do it, so this, this friend of mine is interested in helping me maybe make another one based on the success of that. So the idea is to just gradually kind of each – each product maybe gets a little bigger, and the big thing with Peach Fest, like the, the music, is a big component. Yeah. And I know that it's probably, I don't know, one two hundred thousand dollars worth of music licenses. So is, that's a big chunk of money right there. I yeah, know. is that something that you would be interested in renegotiating if it came to it? I mean, there's certain songs, but yeah, but there's some. It's it's sort of like if you can't get the right songs, there's, I don't think there's any point in doing it. Yeah, so the music ways, is probably more important than you let on then. Yeah. So, like, I mean, Days to Confused, for example, without the right music, it's, just, it's not Days to Confused. Sure. I mean, you could find an original artist to... to well, I mean, it would be a, quite a search, but if you were able to find an original artist or multiple ones to recreate music that suited you and that style and that feeling, that could be an option. Yeah, but it just wouldn't, I don't know, it wouldn't feel quite right. Yeah. I mean, it w- it's got to be those, because as you're saying, the music, it just, the right music, it just takes you to a moment when you heard that song and will have those connections with, with the audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important in a film like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's why oldies radio is always going to be sort of a thing that works because you'll be driving along and you can hear that song and all of a sudden, boom, you're back in the high school gymnasium in your, in your prom dress uh, wondering where Johnny ran off to. I know that's what happens to me. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. I had a really pretty uh, dress also. Uh, Johnny was a real jerk. My oldies nostalgia is like 60s and 70s country music. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's the twang part of it. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get that, Corbin, with the music. So you, you basically would need big production for this then because the music is non-negotiable. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I tried to, I did a bit of research with my last feature about trying to get some actually a song that was from the and I and I know how expensive that is so yeah does um does Canada have like a Hollywood a Hollywood of Canada no that's we don't uh, yeah our film industry is is problematic up here to say the least yeah but I mean Vancouver's a really popular filming spot right oh yeah I mean uh, a lot of your countrymen are up here making stuff yeah and they're employing a whole bunch of of locals, but kind of the downside of that is that that's all that's happening. Oh, I gotcha. Mm. So yeah, when I mean, we've got you know every WB um, superhero thing is shot up here. Yeah, like, there's so much stuff being shot in, in Vancouver, but it's it's really all that. And we, I mean, the big thing is we don't have a lot of screens. Like distribution, if you make a movie, actually getting it in front of Canadian audiences is, is very difficult. Well, and this and this is definitely the sort of script that it's. I, I think it could play outside of Canada, but I mean, this is also a very. It's very like you said. It's a very personal story, and it's very focused on that part of the world. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I let me make a list of all the things I had to look up. The Canada arm, like oh, most of the music, <laughs> the cities. Was the Canada arm an actual for real point of pride <laughs> amongst the Canadian people back in the eighties? Oh yeah, it was huge. No it was kidding. A big. 
Yeah, our big contribution to space exploration. I didn't realize that was such a big deal. I do love that the characters are like, what do they do with that anyway? <laughs> Almost as if they weren't entirely sure as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know what it did. It just kind of reached off the space shuttle and... I don't know, like I said, waved at the aliens, I guess. I mean, there was not one single space shuttle toy that I remember existing in the 80s that definitely did not have also that arm built into it. You opened up the big bay doors at the top, and that <laughs> arm was right there, and that's what you did. You play, When you're playing with the shuttle, you open up those doors, and then you move the arm around. Yeah, exactly. So, was, you know, it was a big deal for us Canadians. I didn't realize that was such a thing. That's hilarious. Did you try to pack as many, like, your personal memorabilia into the script or did you just kind of let them show up as they played in your mind? They're really just, yeah, they just kind of popped out when I was writing it. Yeah. I don't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't kind of go back and have to artificially insert them. They, yeah, they just, they did. They were just naturally, they just came out in, in the moments. And, and since this is such a personal script, do you have a favorite part? Uh, I mean, I really like the, uh, the Phil Collins, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I like the just the tone and stuff there, but I I don't I don't really I kind of like it all. And what's what's interesting is that now what's kind of happened is because my my friends who were involved in this they've all read the script. I mean, it was a, I wrote the script a while ago, but they they read it at the time. And now what's happened is their memories have conflated with the script, yeah. and they've actually some of them have come back to me and talked about events that they think happened on our Peach Fest thing, oh, but kidding. didn't, but it's actually from the script. <laughs> like the Die Hard thing, like how they didn't get, it's like, no, that didn't actually happen. Mm-hmm. That was just in the script. And since you were the sober kid on the trip, you definitely remember whether or not it happened. Yeah, so it's, it's this weird thing that, I don't know, memory is such a weird thing anyway, too. Yeah, yeah it is. That is so funny. It's like you're this powerful... Corbin now where you can change history by putting yep. it into your scripts. Yeah, yeah, and it has. It's it's, it's really weird how they <laughs> how that ha- how that's happened. So th- they sound generally favorable of being written into your work then. Do you do this with a lot of your friends and family? No, this is really this is really the only one where you could the specific people are going to know more or less who they are. Yeah. But the other stuff really not so much. I mean, maybe there's still character traits, but no. Okay. Not yet, anyway. Well, you know, with any luck, hopefully this 80s nostalgia is going to stick around for a while, and that'll get somebody to be able to pull the trigger on this thing for you. Yeah, that that would be nice. Yeah. Uh, Colin, uh, Colin. Corbin. Darn it, I'm so sorry. Jack's fired. Corbin, if people want to <laughs> get a hold of you, if they are interested in this script, if they want to contact you about other things, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, I guess you can send me, send me an email. Um, silent underscore ibis at yahoo.com that's uh, Silent Ibis Entertainment is my entertainment uh, is my production company oh I get it the uh, word silent then underscore and then ibis yep I-B-I-S I-B-I-S at at yahoo.com at yahoo.com and we'll definitely make sure to get you linked up on scriptshopshow.com mm-hmm. cool I mean they can also there's like my feature Patterson's Wager. There's a homepage for that, and there's a mess. You can send messages through that too. That's www.pattersonswager.com. Okay, cool. Corbin, thanks very much for being on the show. We really do. Uh, we appreciate your time very, very much. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I had a blast talking to you guys. Thanks, thanks, Corbin. We enjoyed the script a lot. Good luck. Thank you. All right, listeners. Thanks for um, talking to Corbin with us, and <laughs> thanks for 
yeah. listening to us talk Listen. to Corbin. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's <laughs> If you're sitting there yelling along with your phone or whatever you're streaming this with, uh, that's okay. Yeah, actually, if that's what you're doing, you should tell us because that sounds hilarious yeah. and I want to put it on Instagram. Yeah, right. So. Take a video of it, please. <laughs> so, um, you know, as per the usual, we love what we do here. We love talking to writers. We love going through their scripts. So if you are a writer and or know a writer and or have a script... Um, please send it our way. You can send it to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Details about how to send your script in are available there. We're looking forward to reading from you. And uh, we please would very much enjoy your support. If you are enjoying the show, listening on iTunes, please log in, leave us a rating, give us a thumbs up, Google Play, any of the places that you're listening to this show. Uh, we would love all your subscriptions and follows and thumbs upses. Uh, and that includes on various social media feeds as well, including but not limited to, <laughs> pretty much limited to right now, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Ugh. Script Shop Show. Uh, we we would appreciate it very, very much. And until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.